All right, you guys ready to get into it? We've been at like eight to, yeah. to ten minutes. Let's go. I mean, I feel like we're about to begin the number one podcast on the internet. Dude. We are. This already yeah, actually man. is the number one podcast on the internet. Really? For Magic or for Dr. Pepper? What's the Dr. Pepper meta, do you think? DB meta? Yeah, the DB meta. Um, I mean, vanilla. Like, obviously, it's dominated by classic Dr. Pepper, right? I mean, everybody Consistent. shows up playing fucking classic, bro, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. vanilla is a huge shout from my boy over here because it actually... Okay. Don't sleep on the vanilla, bro. It's yeah. super good. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like uh, Dr. Pepper, with its bursting with flavor, the flavor profile, the diet Dr. Pepper is just as good as the regular Dr. Pepper. It is one of the best diet sodas. For sure. Bar none, like Mm -hmm. as far as a facsimile to its original counterpart. Should we get diet Dr. Pepper at the shop? I mean, it it shows up in top 16 sometimes. Like it has some top 16 finishes. Welcome to the Mock Stars Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Evan Kunai. Hello. Good to see you here again. I'm here with my two co-hosts. First being Christopher Ritter. Hello. And Jordan Garcia. Yo, what is up? <laughs> okay, I missed the memo on the vibe, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome to the number one podcast on the internet. And uh, sneak peek into today's episode, we have a top 16 finish by our uh, one and only Dr. Pepper. Hi, Dr. Pepper. You're in wow, the I made it top 16 again, as yeah. per usual. Undefeated. So consistent. Uh, today, we are talking about two things. Primarily one thing, but our pregame action today is going to be touching on the top 16 finishers from the Surfside Showdown in San Diego this past weekend. Hey, where you may remember that we broadcast the finals of the qualifiers for that. We broadcast the whole tournament. Of the we qual- broadcast the whole tournament. Of the Invitational, yeah. Yeah, and check that out on our YouTube channel. It's actually video, not just a scrolling graphic, which is pretty cool. First time you can see our beautiful faces. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, before we get into that, if you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by first joining our Discord server and becoming a part of the community and uh, become a mock star yourself. Get out there, uh, chat with us, uh, contribute to the Brew Buddies, all that good stuff. We have uh, getting people joining like pretty much every day at this point. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, incredibly active at the moment, and uh, it's cool to just see what people are popping off about. Especially Jordan here popping off with his uh, Italian deck. Yeah, always brewing in the in the Brew Buddies. You'll find us uh, jamming all the time in there. Yeah, that's a hot card. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. Hyped about Mm -hmm. Italian. You can also follow us on YouTube, like, subscribe, and hit that little bell for more notifications as to when episodes drop, which is every Friday. You can check us out there and on all major podcasting platforms. So let's get right into it. We're talking about the Surfside Showdown, uh, where we have the top 16 results right in front of us. We're super excited to touch on this because not hey, only I, I think I actually podcast. got you distracted and we didn't talk about the main topic. Oh no no no! Well, it's a it's a yeah maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're talking about Surfside Showdown, the tournament that just happened, covering yeah. the top sixteen, and then we were actually shouting out this awesome website that we're using, this awesome great resource that everybody should check out. It's EDH Top Sixteen. That's what we're looking at right now for this tournament, and then we're actually going to be going and looking at their um their uh net research for top sixteen total in like kind of the meta right now this is a great um uh i would call it data aggregate site for uh cdh and it's something we don't have we have not had to this caliber i would say um so it's very fun to take a look at and uh so just hopping in 
Let's look at the Surfside freaking showdown. Yeah, we're going to look at the top 16 from the Surfside showdown and the top 16 overall of the meta. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, number one, and by number one, I named number 16, is Obnixilis, Captive Kingpin. That was a card that uh, a commander that people were hot on when it was first spoiled. Uh, you know, I think the talk has been that people have cooled off on it a little bit. So a it's kind of cool to see it in the top 16 here. Yeah, I'm happy to see it. Um, I don't think it like, I totally agree. There's always that like initial card hype, but then always following that is there's like the initial card like fear. Mm-hmm. So people just dogpile it. So like when we went to that tournament, it had just come out and like, so we've seen that two tournaments now and it's just like people dogpile the deck, but I noticed that happened a lot less this tournament than it did last tournament a few months ago when it came out. Yeah, Nexus was able to grow and, and grow and actually knock, it. knock people out with commander damage. Yeah. So I very much still think it's a viable deck and a viable strategy. It just it needs that like, time to kind of fall back into line and it's just like too like about, like on the radar right It now. had a target on its back. Yeah, kind of like Tid okay. has a target. It had yeah. a big old target. I can't remember a deck in recent history that had more hype than Obnixilis did because of how many cards just specifically deal one damage, mm-hmm. especially with all the recent new cards coming out like Urbrask, which was like a really cool, unique piece for that that just kept netting you cards and netting you mana. So. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the meta does churn in CDH, but... Uh, it does tend to pull on the same card pool and types of strategies. So you might get a different engine. You might get a piece for an existing right. strategy. It's rare, as in the case of Obnixilist, where you get a whole different line yeah, to pursue. Yeah. And yeah, the thing about those engines is like, it, you can just go to a five-color deck and now it can just play all of the good little engines and stuff that come out and really not need to have the build around. But it's I think like that's what makes Brewers super excited is... A deck that makes you build around it mm-hmm. and like things that make you find the weird cards that happen to synergize for it. And yep. I think so rarely in CDH do you get to find that. Like you're usually finding something more generic. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's a badass. Yeah. Yeah. For me as a player, it feels nice to do something different at the table. You yeah, know? exactly. And speaking of doing something different at the table and speaking of five color decks, we have number 15, Scion of the Ur-Dragon made uh, an appearance. Okay, but that's five colors with integrity. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. It's and mostly it's, a five color good yeah. stuff deck, but it does have some dragons in yes. it. Yes. In case you forgot what Scion of the Ur-Dragon does, it's five colors, uh, one of each color, and then it is a 4-4 flyer with pay two, search your library for a dragon card and put it into your graveyard powerful ability if you do sign of the ur dragon becomes a copy of that card until end of turn then shuffle your library wowza so i love this i love the card i've always loved the card i've never built it before and it's kind of awesome to see that it had it made an appearance and was able to be successful throughout the day so uh just looking through the list i'm sure there's a lot of like dragon combo lines uh i don't really know how the deck wins but i know it's on food chain yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. I think he would or this person was trying to focus. Uh, it's not cavern on food chain. Dragon. There is no food chain in this list. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I just lied to all of you. Yeah, they were going for like cavern horde dragon, and then if uh, or the scion was on the battlefield, they were able to like wow. uh, pay two and then put turn it into dragon lord Tremoka so your opponents can't cast spells during your turn, so and then like, he would just pop off and win. So it's like a dedicated dragon list. Like there's yeah, a and, few in there enabled by new tech cavern horde dragon from yeah. the Lord of the Ring set. Yes, dude. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah, so yeah, oh man, the crazy just like treasure creation this deck has because Old Gnawbone is also in the list. So yes. there's some really powerful dragons here. I'd love this. Uh, but moving some, on, some very exciting stuff in this top sixteen. Yeah, moving on to number fourteen. What do we got? 
Uh, Sauron the Dark Lord. Evan, you've been talking about building this one. I want to build it. I've seen the potential. I think it's there. Yeah, other people have seen the potential too. There were, I think, three lists in this tournament. Damn, that's awesome. Yeah. This is the Breach deck that I would want to play, and uh, I'm sure that's what they were doing. Uh, wheels and Breach. Yeah, it's interesting. So, like, we got a recent Breach Commander in Dihada, and people are saying it's potentially the best Breach Commander. Um, Dihada put up some results in this tournament. Yeah, and has been putting up results in a lot of tournaments, but... Um, you know, I think Sauron's really fun because, you know, it is kind of also a breach engine. It is essentially like the brain freeze component to your, your breach line in the command zone. So, yeah. And also, uh, not to get off topic of competitive play. Did you see the new art for Sauron the Dark Lord? Yeah. Got spoiled yesterday. Yeah. Or a couple days so ago, sick. you know, a week ago at the time of this. So sick. It's like acid trippy, just yes, like super cool hot. vibes. Yeah. Yeah. One of the very, ins- uh, an incentive to play the commander right to go to those rcqs and stuff like that too they've been really bringing it out for the rcq arts and stuff lately yeah uh number 13 we have uh speaking Lauren. of hey dahada yeah Dehada. Wills. hi dahada uh great deck i think we all just know that it's incredibly consistent uh moving on to number 12 we have moira and teshar this okay, was uh i had to look up what this card was i literally don't even know and yeah. uh it's a black and white uh legend from march of the machines aftermath okay i believe um and i also did not retain that information because i don't expect to see oh, it again it but okay. it's great From, to see a pilot take a very unique commander and unique deck i've never even seen this card okay i'm gonna read it real quick three white black for a flying four or five whenever you cast a historic spell return target non-land permanent card from your graveyard to the battlefield seems good he gains haste exile at the beginning of the next end step if it would leave the battlefield exile it wow i think I, unconditional non-land permanent card if as long yeah. as you cast yeah. a historic spell wow. and, it, okay. and it's playing those uh orzolve stacks pieces and then i think it's on bomber man combo and turbo gnaws and things professor, like that professor onyx as yeah. an outlet uh brood lord uh is an outlet for it yeah uh, it, it's playing just all the wind cons available in, in orzov i think it does it have a uh, bolus citadel divining top uh as well uh it does not have it has divining top but it does not have it doesn't have the other, other flux reservoir okay yeah but um, it's also it has so many wind conditions it's also on um abdel adrian lines yep yeah, it's got it's it's just all the good stuff Walking in, in Orzov uh, plus uh, with a underpowered engine. Yeah. So I uh, great pilot. <laughs> I'm assuming this is awesome. vile vile tumor. Yeah, is yeah, a utility so piece. Yeah, wow, crazy. That's a cool list. Playing so, a ton of uh, you know <laughs> zero cost zero cost artifact creatures to power that ad nause. Yeah, um, yeah, it's some wild stuff. So it's um, essentially Teshar, but in black white. Yeah, right? feels yeah. really good. Which just seems really good. <laughs> yeah, all you need is stuff for one turn. You only need it for one turn on the battlefield, and you should be able to set yourself up. That's insane. Okay, well, yeah, shout out for uh, hitting uh, top 16. They got 12th place, Robert A. Spears. Love to see it. Uh, number 11, we have a deck we're going to be talking a lot about today. We have Blue Farm, Krom, and Timna. Yeah, definitely uh, overrepresented in the tournament, or you know, appropriately yeah, represented for it being Blue Farm. I mean, can we talk about how deck? interesting it's been up to this point? Like, this is the yeah. first, like, you know... Sta- like, boring uh, deck we've yeah. come across. Hey, it's going to get interesting there again. Go. It's going to spice. Oh yeah, no, I know, yeah. but it's just it's kind of awesome. Uh, yeah, so they went two three two. Is just enough to get um, everybody else so far has been two four one. Yeah. Uh, so two three two hasn't been enough to get him above everybody else to eleventh. Ten through sixteen all tied at twenty eight point five seven percent opponent win percentage. Yeah. So that's how they ended up getting yeah getting in. That's crazy. Yeah, super close. Uh, yeah, I mean, not much to talk about Tim Necrom, and we could look at the list. Blue Farm is Blue Farm. Blue yep. Farm is Blue it's Farm. You know the best it. cards in the game. 
there's plenty of places talking about it, and I don't see anything like crazy spicy in the list. No shade, just being honest. Nope. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty much staple list. I will say that if you're playing Blue Farm, it's not that you're not creative, but the lists are pretty much figured out, and they're just really good. Yeah. Why wouldn't you play the best cards? Yeah. Number 10, Tassiger, the Golden Fang. Hey, a little spicy again. Yep. Yeah. This is an old school commander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those old school strategies that can definitely run away with games. Uh, you see it from a mile away because, you know, you've heard rumor of it or you've seen it before. Uh, but yeah, just when it comes out and when it comes out to play at the highest level, it does like sneak away with games. I mean, I love it. It's like it's playing some big old bulky boys. It's playing Scholar of the Lost Trove, Toxroll, uh, Hoarding Broodlord, Hallbreaker Horror, Nezahal. I love decks that can squeak in Nezahal. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yep. It's fun. Number nine, Kalia of the Vast. Yeah, this is where we start getting some more interesting breakers. Top. This is number nine now. So we have uh, three wins, four draws, zero losses with Kalia of the Vast here. Now, this will be a little bit of a spoiler, but in... Or sorry, four losses, zero draws. Kalia does not make the top 16 cut of all time, but its conversion rate is 50% right now. As far... If it makes top 16... Or uh, if it's entered into a tournament greater than 64 players, it has a 50% chance of making it to the top 16. I, I, I think that's also the confidence of the pilot and D. <laughs> <So, laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a pilot for sure. But yeah. the confidence, like in the experience in playing the deck, leads whoever it is mm-hmm. out there who's pumping these like stats up. Uh, they're doing a great job. You know, it's a very yeah. good point because on the adverse of that, um, Blue Farm is the most represented deck in tournaments. But it has actually extremely low conversion rate, yep. 20%, lower than what we'd expect of 25%. Well, I, I mean, what you see is less experienced pilots going like, okay, I'm just going to play Everybody the deck with knows the best it's cards. A good deck. It, it's a good deck. And so, you know, it has that lower conversion but, rate versus a higher skill level deck like Holly of the Vast. Um, you know, you got to assume it's a better pilot. Totally. Yeah. Number eight, Rograk and Tevishat. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, Rograk uh, showed up with uh, two partner pairings a lot. This is one of them. I just want to say it's actually eight and seven are both Rog and Tevesh. Yeah. Um, So I knew that I've heard about this deck. I've seen it a little bit, and I've heard that um, California and the West Coast are very stacks dominant, and this is kind of a deck from from that meta. Um, So um, I'm excited to see it here, but apparently that's that's kind of the norm. it's a super interesting deck. Very I like interesting, it. The very only chaotic. Cre- deck. The only creatures the number eight showing is playing a Sire of Insanity and Void Winnower, which I love because, like you know, you see Rakdos, you're you assume maybe it's on a World Gorger line or something yeah. like that, and that is not the case here. Well, I saw the list and they're like uh, playing Luca. They're playing some yes. like, yep. uh, some uh, effects like that that allow you to just roll into the next like the next thing, and that's yep. I mean there are Oath of the Druids decks that literally do like go for the same thing like yeah. literally do the same thing so um you Plus have one creature like, or one or two creatures in the entire in the entire list just to like Cyrus you know. void winner and you're playing like Chandra, yeah, awakened yep. inferno some real chunky six cmc uh planeswalkers just so tasty yeah. how can you not have fun playing this they're playing nether void nether void <laughs> like, and yeah. stranglehold yeah let's some, fucking go 
All right, that's eight and seven. So let's move on to number six. We're looking at Malcolm and Timna. Another popular deck. Not surprised to see it. Yep, it's popular. It is off the axis of what is normally run with uh, Timna, I feel, or with uh, Malcolm and Timna. Uh, you're actually leaving red off to the side, which sort of cuts you free from a few lines with Malcolm, which you, is a little, yeah, like like it's off that uh, off the axis, like I was yeah, saying. You don't you know. play Glinthorn Buccaneer, which is like... Two card back combo. In the, back in the day when I was playing Malcolm with Glinthorn Buccaneer, I was like, I would never play this deck without Glinthorn Buccaneer. But, you know, over time... Times I, have changed. Times change, and have, this deck is just stuck around and consistently grind, grinding out tournaments. If you get to the mid-game, really mid you're generating mana and cards. It's everything you want to do yep. in Magic, and it provides you the flying attacker for Timna plus, mm -hmm. plus the mana. It, it's hard to deny that it's very good. All right, we have number five, a familiar name, Atlas, here with Kenrith, the Return King. Hey, shout out. He, One of the first five-color players uh, we've talked about today. Yeah, yeah. Outside, of, uh, outside of the uh, Sign of the Earth Dragon. Yeah, um, further down the standings, you definitely have some Najilas and some other five, and some Cisse results. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, the highest uh, showing for a five-color player. Yeah, got to dive the boy up uh, for making top five. He was actually top cut out of uh, top four, so... Uh, Four two one, with a uh, fifty seven point one four percent win record. Yeah, great player with a great deck, which is uh, only which is second only to the person who won the entire tournament. Um, we, it was pretty cool to watch him. We sat and we watched the top sixteen. We've uh, mulled over this list in Brew Buddies a bunch, like gone through and just <clears throat> sort of like helped boil down what this is all about. And uh, I think. If you look at the list, you can somewhat come to understand what the deck wants to do, but you don't truly see its power until you see the pilot in action. So, like, watching the stream with the top 16, the way that he moves people, like, with words, is more powerful than the actual what is represented on the cards. Well, if, if you read Atlas's excellent primer on the deck, and I recommend that if you're interested in this commander, mm -hmm. um, he does a really good job of explaining how... It's this isn't just five color good cards. This is his gameplay style, you know, comes from doing the politics and he explains how to use the politics with the deck. Right. Yeah, that's it's such a cool read. And his list is if you're going if you want to find all of this information, you can go to eminence or events dot eminence and uh, you can go to the little tournaments tab and the Surfside showdown should be the first one that pops up. It's always going to be the most recent one. And you can check out his list there and give that primer a read. Number four, Krom and Timna. Blue Farm is back again. <laughs> Shock. Uh, also number three. Enough, yeah, yeah, also number three. Funny enough, uh, we know what the deck does. Sweet. Cool. Number two, <laughs> Kinnon. Hey, uh, hey. Highest result for Kinnon. Uh, there were, I think, a handful of other Kinnon players in the tournament as well. And Kinnon just won, I think, I want to say the chaos, last, most recent Chaos Tournament online, but a recent uh, You can tournament. check that on Eminence. Check it on uh, yeah, yeah. EDH Top 16. But uh, yeah, Kennen is uh, doing very well right now. I got rolled in my last tournament against a Kennen. Yeah, Kennen's a sneaky boy. Yeah. And number one, the winner of the Surfside Showdown, we have Rograk and Silas Wren. This is the only one in the Top 16. Which is... Uh, I, it is, is it surprising that it's the only one? I mean, uh, I can scroll down as far further as and see how long it takes to see him again. I think it's a very... Oh, nope. Number 17. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Didn't take a long time. I but, think it's uh, a very high skill cap deck. It is. Yeah. 
Um, I, I do, before we get further into it, I do want to make a note that Tivit, which has been making uh, a lot of noise lately, did not make the top 16. No Tivit pilots. I wonder if seeing that kind of effect we saw with Obnix list where Tivit is now getting dogpiled for winning too much. Totally oh, yeah. possible. I mean, yeah. it'll it'll come up later. Um, so uh, let's just dive right into it. The Surfside Showdown was great, but let's move on to the top 16 of all time on Eminence Events. Uh, this is a really cool tool. Jordan, I feel like you explain it way better than I do. <laughs> what do you love about this tool, man? Um, okay, I highly suggest everybody check this out and kind of follow this as a great magic resource moving forward, right? Remember your, your pre-CDH lives where all you did was live and die by EDH rec. Well, that was a terrible way to do it. This is a great way to proceed forward. This is actually uh, relevant data points that you can use to improve your game or find new decks you might be interested in. Interested in. Um, so essentially, it is just a giant, giant aggregator of tons of data points. And because of that, we actually can start seeing a bunch of new uh, information and uh, tendencies uh, because more than we've been able to before because we haven't had access to a lot of this before. Um, so one thing I'm really excited about is the conversion tab. We didn't talk about, about it a lot, but, um, there was like a win rate, uh, thing, but once you go into the main aggregator, not tournament breakdowns, there's conversion, which, uh, is very exciting. So Evan was talking about, uh, Kalia having this amazing conversion rate, right? You don't see it highly represented, but the conversion is when it shows up, it does very, very well and it puts up records. Um, and then what I was saying in the complete opposite of that, uh, number one, as far as, uh, coverage is Tim Necrom, but it only has a 20.4% uh, conversion rate. You know what's interesting? Looking at this list, you know what actually has a lower conversion rate? What's that? Kinnon. Kinnon. At 16.53%. See, I could totally see that because it's kind of like, it looks very welcoming as a newer player to do the big green stompy stuff and like get that satisfaction in CDH stuff you know and are familiar with, mm -hmm. but... It ain't that easy to win a game of CDH, and like you actually need to play very well. Well, speaking of newer players, the other ones with conversion rates around that in the in the top are Yuriko, which is you know number one with the bullet for new players, very easy to understand. Yep. You know, very wow. low cost as well to get in on, and then Rocco Cabaretti Caterer, which thought. is also very friendly to new players. Fourteen point seven five. Yeah. Yep. All you basically tell people with Rocco is, hey, go find food chain, uh, or go find. Uh, Kiki Jiki, and you win the game. And then with a super low conversion rate, 7.89% Winota, which I think is... Uh, another beginner deck. Yeah, another yeah. beginner deck and also a target on its back. Totally. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go through real quick the, the top 16 of this so you guys can kind of see what the data is showing for kind of a relative meta, um, which is kind of cool. Like, you know, a lot of times our metas are based off of who we play with and they're very like localized and this is like the first time we've actually been able to branch out as a like a community-based game uh, and you know i, I just want to add that, that you can refine that data even more like oh, yeah, so the 100%. top 16 that we're looking on is the base top 16 that they're going to deliver you which is tournaments happening within the past year and tournament size over 64 entrants now you can refine that uh that you know the scope of that yep. any way you want um, and there's other ways to search through this data to get you the data that you want. Yeah, this is like the most yeah. simplistic version of it and like just on the homepage. You can go so much deeper on yeah. this website. If if you feel like there has been some set releases in the past six months that have shaken up CDH more than 
you know, we think you can limit this to a six month search and that might shake up the top. Right. That's going to give you definitely a better picture. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, what I was going to say is, uh, I would recommend if we're going through the top 16, I would recommend doing the opposite when you go on here is go backwards and just go down and see like cool, fun decks that you might want to play that are not top 16 decks that kind of get an idea for how they play and like in their standings and stuff. If you're looking for that new, like inspiration is my suggestion. And, and you feel like this is a better starting point than the deck list database. Uh, yeah, oh, 100%, I a hundred percent think that this is, that was be- a leading question. Guys. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but I just think like the, this is such like fresh data. These are fresh decks that people are playing actively in tournaments right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's a really great way to see like what cards are hot. People are hot on like that changes all the time. We, you know, we, all like find out that we're super into a card and then people start putting in their decks and that goes into like waves and trends and stuff. Um, so it's a great way to start picking up on that kind of new thing. Um, finding new spice for decks. I will say my one tip when you go in to this, like when you go into eminence and you're trying to use this as a tool to find or create a new deck, you can click on like any of these decks that you see in the top 16 or further down, and it will give you a list of the best performances by these uh, by these decks or by these yes. commanders, these set of commanders. Just know that you should be clicking through each list and looking at the differences in their builds. You can actually there's that compare tool on Moxfield, too. So you can actually use that to see what is different from each list. Know that the top finishes for these decks are people, if there are pet cards in there, they are they are incredible pilots. That these their builds that are unique and stuff like that are built around their play styles. And so take that with a grain of salt and take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Don't just, you know, uh, blindly copy and paste because you're not gonna understand unless you completely read the primer what that deck is going to do. Yeah, whereby comparison um edh rec um sorry the deck list database if you go there there are people making decisions about like hey these are the two or three iconic decks for this archetype right yes yeah. and they they boil it down they don't allow so much uh so much width yeah know. and i think their process too is just like hey how good is the primer on this and then how many cards in common like they're not going to put the best list up they're going to put the most iconic list yeah they don't yeah. exactly and, and like things even fall out of date like i've been on there recently and things have been updating months and so like new cards have come out that aren't even on there, which is insane. Mm-hmm. So this is why I really say like, this is a great place to get that fresh data, like very real data. Yeah. That's um, it's, it can be broad. Sometimes it can be broad in scope, but, but it's a resource ultimately to go back to and like dial in. Yeah. But ultimately this tool does give you the ability to refine your search and actually, uh, make it much more narrow for you as well. So let's get started. Let's do it. Number 16. Malcolm Timna. Just a fucking solid deck. You can draw cards, make mana. It's really solid. It banks on getting to the mid game. Uh, it when it gets there, it's it's at its most dangerous. It has a twenty percent conversion rate because, which I totally believe, it has no way to win in the command yeah. zone. It. I mean, you see both those commanders a lot, but just partnered with different combinations. And I think it's something it's not so, the optimal combination. Yeah, and I think it's something even. Even if it was, say if it is blue farm, I think it's really hard for people to win the game when you don't have that. You don't have a tutor in the command zone. You don't mm. have a like you know part of the combo in the command zone. If you're just relying on resources, that means you are relying on yourself to pilot your deck to a win instead yeah. of your deck just falling into a win, like a Rocco deck. Yeah, I mean, just a little self-fluff here. Uh, I have a combo piece in my command zone, and I have a 66% conversion rate. Hey, You have a 66%? How do I pull up that data on EDH? 
uh, top16.com. I don't think you can. Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting. Mm. Okay, All so right. On. Oh, what is it? Not Evan's deck? Oh, it's Yuriko the Tiger's Shadow. Ooh. <laughs> Just kidding. I think your deck actually would be better than that. Yeah, 15, 15 <laughs> and 14, I think we can blow past Yuriko and Rocco because we already mentioned yeah, that. Yuriko. Great intro decks. Um, Yuriko, it's easy peasy to understand. It's very combat focused. Well, I think it's interesting that you say like Rocco is a, a beginner deck because you, like, you look at it and it's a 14.75% conversion rate. So I do agree a lot of beginners probably play this deck, but it, it, to me, it is a very high ceiling deck. because it's, Oh, for sure. It's, yeah. You can just tutor for anything at any moment. And figure yeah, so you can play at a higher skill level, but it's easy for a beginner to be like, oh, my, my commander will just be a tutor you know for anything. Oh, your one combo that you focus yeah. on. Fair yeah. enough. In that case, I would say I would say it's like it has a high skill skill ceiling. Where yeah, it's like sure. You can do well on it, but the better you are at it and the better you are at the game, the further you can take it. And like, that is going to be true of every single one of you. But it's makers. interesting, like, you know, we we're talking about going into further data, right? So 14% conversion rate, you click on it, and then number one player here, Juan Pego, um, one, uh, he has a fifty-seven point one four percent win rate, right? I mean, so, that's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like you really start. There's a guy with a sixty percent win rate on this. Like you start looking at it, and you're like, all right, these are the pilots that I need to see what they're doing to see what this, how to make this deck like sing. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be absolutely crazy if you go into these statistics and you click on each deck because you're really only gonna see these decks maybe finish first place one time. Like Rocco has only gotten first one time out of sixty-one entries in any tournament over 64 players in the last year yeah isn't that absolutely insane like that's how like that's how competitive these tournaments are yeah and that's why it's been so hard to get data up to this point for these tournaments right um okay yeah moving on yeah we have uh hey my deck what up Krom tavesh at uh, a 26.47 percent conversion rate yep number 13 uh i i think that's another case where you see these partners a lot but it's not necessarily the optimal combination. Correct. Also, they're just two draw engines, so... Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, this, your build, and the purpose for this deck and why it is so attractive is because depending on your meta or depending on what region you're in, like, the deck does really well at pushing through stacks. Like, you can get Tavesh out and you can actually create a draw engine mm-hmm. that doesn't, like, interfere with any of those rule of law effects or anything like that, like, right? Because Krom folds to that. I was going to say, like, people keep saying how good Krom is, but I've never experienced this because of our, our, our local meta, our personal meta. It's rule of law everywhere. So Krom is more often than not a terrible card for me. Uh, Tavesh is, however, the polar opposite of that and is great at eating its way through stacks pieces. Yeah, which is why your behavior tends to lead to you funneling Tavesh over Krom and everyone else uh, who is not playing in Rule of Law metas are, are looking at you like, why are you going Tavesh right now? You're going to go for Krom. Right. But that then, like, you know, it lets you pivot in depending on, like, you know, the, the table you're at and stuff. Right? So it all goes back to pilot skill, which then dictates, totally. you know, your conversion rate, how much that person's winning. Well, you have that new card, too, that four drop enchantment that it might give you more purpose. Oh, Descendants, so silly. Descendants but, Fury, but yeah. it, it gets a Holebreaker Horror onto the battlefield. Yeah. If you don't, so. if you haven't seen Descendants Fury, go look at it and then look at that deck. It seems hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. This is a deck that has been making waves. Uh, and has just been absolutely crushing lately. At it number is, 12. Number 12, Dargo and Thrasios. Um, love to see some uh, team or representation. Uh, this deck is just so good. It's so fast. It's great at turning out wins. Um, we had a 27.5% win rate. I think it's pretty decent. 
It's explosive. That's Very like the explosive. number one thing. It has uh, two outlets in the command zone. That's the thing. Both commanders are outlets for whatever combo you're trying to set up at the moment, whether it's just infinite mana. Well, most Dargo is like the infinite mana piece, and then Thrasios is the outlet for that. So like cards like Thermopod, which are very surprising to me, but actually make sense when you look at the strategy that allowed this deck to go infinite and draw your entire library and win the game. So um, really, I, I've seen it play a few times in tournament and I've seen it play more on the side, like in casual games or just like nothing's at stake. And it is hard to pin down. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is a big pivot towards creature-based strategies and creature-based win conditions. They're a lot harder to interact with and they get around a lot of specific stacks. Um, and because of that, uh, we're seeing certain decks that can take advantage of it like this. I'd say this deck has the explosiveness of like an ad nauseum deck, a turbo deck because of what Dargo lets you cheat. Um, like Dargo plus greater good um, and like a Bergy out is just insane, right? So, uh, and like, you know, Displacer Kitten Dockside, that goes insane. Is Do you think the underrepresentation that you see is just like people shy away from explosive decks that aren't, you know, Adnaws Turbo uh, because it, you can just stick your finger in there and, the, you know, it's safer to play something mid-range, something stacksy, something well, I think the, the, committed to, to something else. Yeah, the most solid uh, sentence I can give you on that is consistency is king. Consistency mm -hmm. is power. So I think that when people look at this deck, they see something that can very, be very easily disassembled mm -hmm. and can be made to be less consistent. Uh, or ha they haven't seen it be consistent, so that's why they shy away from it. But if you're a, a true blue Dargo Thrasios pilot, you know how consistent it is, and you are willing to take your chances on that. Fair enough. And like the great thing about this versus like the CDHDDB, right, is we can see this deck and how well it's performing um, and how like active people are using it. But I would still say that this is a pretty fringe deck, and it's still pretty new to the meta. I mean, it's got a great conversion rate, 27.5. It does. It actually is the best in the top 16. Hey, look at that data. Um, yeah, so I think... Yeah, and you know, also we'll only 40 entries. Yeah. Uh, and if you're looking at the top 16, a lot of these have like 60 to 100 true, 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 true. or more entries. So Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think we'll see a lot more of it as people get more comfortable with it and see how well it actually does perform. But it's a kind of fringe deck. You're playing some weird cards and some weird strategies, and it kind of puts people off. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I see that in number 11, if we're ready. Yeah, yeah ready. Malcolm Tana. You see Malcolm Tana, the Blood Sower, is... Uh, you know, a different choice to get in that same team or color combination. Well, yeah, well, to me, this is this is the probably the most optimized Malcolm deck that wants to win with Glanthorn. Like mm -hmm. th this is like let's jam <clears throat> Glanthorn ASAP. Like you know, with all like the finale devastation effects and everything, mm -hmm. very having, achievable. Yeah. So you think these are like residual? Uh, this this number eleven showing is maybe residual. That if we adjusted the data, it might not even be in that top sixteen. No, I wouldn't say that. I, I, you I, were saying earlier that we're off Glanthorn for the Malcolm decks. Uh, no, just on that one deck. Uh, that okay. one deck does well by going off Glenhorn. This is the deck that does well by solely focusing Glenhorn. Like, mm -hmm. like I was on the the Vile Smasher version, so I still had like all the distractions of ad nauseum and Underworld Breach and everything. This is like, let's play fucking Glenhorn and win this game. Yeah, this deck moves so incredibly fast that the idea is you turbo Malcolm out, like whether it's a jeweled Lotus or something like that, and then you're immediately going into Glenhorn the following turn mm -hmm. and then uh, winning the game. And so. With that in mind, you haven't burned all of your resources in your hand, so you're probably still sitting on counter spells and uh, stuff like that. So the idea is that uh, you're able to go quick enough 
to where you still haven't burned your interaction, you can protect the win uh, before anyone else really has their shields up, before anyone else can really defend themselves. And this is largely, again, a creature-based combo that can go very fast, which I think is poised very well in our current meta, and that's why we're seeing two back-to-back decks that do the exact same thing. Yeah, hard to interact with unless you have a Path to Exile or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and actually, speaking of uh, creature-based combos that uh, win the game, we are going to talk about the next one, number 10, and that is Tiam Luminous Enigma. This deck has been rolling lately. I actually don't... It doesn't bode well for its future, though. I love the deck. I've always loved Tiam, but I think that this is a fluff number. I don't think it's going to stay at 10 for long. And that's just because I, well, I just said consistency is power. And this is one deck that I feel like has a tough time being consistent or more consistent than even the decks that are below it. Is that just the color combination? You're not getting... You have black and you have tutors and stuff like that. So you can refine it down and have plenty of like ways to search the cards out. Um, I just think that uh, there are some times when this deck needs to rely on the three cards that are milled in order to do something. And uh, it's just really hard to set up the three counters on the creatures on the board. Like, there are a few cards in the list that, like the Money Changer, which is a really cool old card Mm -hmm. that people are loving. Um, (coughs) Scurry Oak does it. Yeah, yeah. Scurry Oak is another, like, combo piece. And it's funny enough that... But uh, it's just there's better engines. It's a non-optimized engine. It requires you to play bad cards to get that engine going. It requires... The engine just doesn't work automatically. Exactly. It feels a lot like Yuriko, where you do have to, like, play some bad cards or some creatures that just have evasion so you can get through and get that trigger. Mm -hmm. So... And Yuriko, you can at least rely on combat if you're not doing... Yeah, and you can go big flash flips and everything. I will say that this wins exceptionally well through stacks and uh, it does. So in a stack saving meta, um, I would not be surprised that Tyam does very is well. There, is there a reason not to be on like Thalia and Gitrog though? If you want to... Oh, I think oh, it's Tyam. four mana. You can only get things back with three mana. So you, No, no, but I mean uh, as a commander. commander versus Tyam. Oh, oh well, Tyam wins the game. Like as I know Evan's yeah. hating on it. Tyam like is amazing I'm and, not, and wins the game. I'm not hating on it. I'm definitely trying to be realistic with it, but... Uh, there are like there are a lot of new cards that have bolstered the strategy, like uh, Orcus Bowmaster yeah, goes Bowmaster, okay, yeah, insane, insane yeah. because you create four counters just off of one cast. So it's like uh, it comes in, uh, creates and masses one, deals one damage and masses one. It enters with a vigilance counter or it gets three counters off the first mm-hmm. one. Uh, a mass one plus one plus one counter gets a vigilance counter too. So you automatically, just by putting Bowmaster on the battlefield, get a uh, Teom activation. You just need that three mana. But, you know, there it does surprise me sometimes when people don't play Ashnod's Altar because you can layer, uh, in, in case you didn't know this, uh, you can pay the cost in any... Uh, way you want or in any sequence of events so it doesn't say it says remove three counters uh, or pay three mana remove three counters and then do the whole thing you can remove the three counters and then pay the mana so you can actually remove the counters from the creature sacrifice them to ashnod's altar and then spin the wheel so it's uh and then you can just loop you can honestly just loop bowmasters a bunch until you get what you need in the graveyard, as long as you're getting, as long as you have Ashnod's Altar out. So uh, there are combo lines and very efficient lines that need little setup to for this deck to win. I just like like I was saying, there are less 
optimal creatures in there to get it to get the engine rolling. Plus, yeah, it's, you have to play a higher density of bad cards. Yep, and it's becoming a boogeyman at tables because it, people know that it can survive. It can live through things like rule of law and thrive through ru- rule of law because it doesn't yeah. need to cast. What is coming up more and more often is Drana and Limvala, which absolutely shuts this deck off. So we'll see if as the meta forms and stuff like that, if it's able to maintain its top 10 status, I just don't like right now, just trying to be realistic. People will adjust and it's a deck that's just taking, taking the meta by storm. Well, I, I mean, if like John and Linvala is a silver bullet for it and John and Linvala is also a good card to play it. If otherwise, uh, you know, it's like one of those things where like rest in peace isn't, a silver bullet that you always play right because yeah. sometimes it might turn off your own strategy sometimes it's a dead card drain but in linvala is not a dead the amount card. of times i've seen that card yeah. lately it's just it's everywhere yeah someone might be playing it incidentally same yeah. same deal with like certain strategies where you might be off because of orcus bowmasters even if someone's not playing that to be a silver bullet for you they're playing it anyway yeah so why run your head into it i also think it's it's still like the cards have been around for a long time but it's still pretty new to like this like spotlight it's having and like it thriving and i think it's a very good deck mm-hmm. um, it's, it's not solved yet yeah and also i think like people are now going to start seeing it so you're right people are going to focus it more and people will know to just kill tiam and yeah and then not the let you off. do anything <laughs> yeah because the deck doesn't do anything to interact with the rest of the table all that much it only really funnels its own strategy yeah so but like, if it can do it by itself then it will and it'll do it well yeah so that's like the big thing is that if people can you don't want to be sitting at a table with a Teon player because you feel like you constantly have to keep the pressure on them. And that throws off the entire balance of the game where you have four players contributing. Like it's basically three players contributing to a game and one player just sort of sitting in a corner trying to do what they need to do. So uh, ultimately those decks don't necessarily climb the ladder all that high. All all the decks that we're going to mention above this have... Uh, a lot of mid-game potential where Teom does have mid-game potential but it doesn't interact with like I said interact with the board all that well hey speaking of decks above this number nine <laughs> Kenrith the return king yeah then this is goes to you know Evan's talking about consistency is king like Kenrith is it Kenrith is consistency yeah mm-hmm. um, you know what too um 20, 24.07% conversion rate not bad you know it has all the good cards also relies on pilot skill it's funny that uh, we have we know Adam. Uh, if you go into Kenrith, and the number one list is Adam Bork, uh, we we know him. He goes to Gabby's, and I've played against him a bunch. He's one of uh, I see his name three times on this, four times. Uh, it just keeps going down, and there's more Adam as you keep going. He has been representing this deck incredibly well. Uh, he's been playing in a lot of those online tournaments. Uh, I, I'm guessing like Mox Masters and stuff like that, but this deck just thrives in the mid game. Alice do- is actually a number seven. Yeah, from the surf side. Yeah, as uh, Kenrith. So shout out. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, because the deck can do anything. It uh, does know? everything. So yeah. it does everything. Why not? Yep. Yeah. And I think that in a meta where you are seeing the mid game, I think a lot of people are fearful of CDH because they fear that it will end on turn two or three. That's not the case. Most of these games go deep into turns uh, due to how much interaction there is. And that's where Kenrith wants to be. You know, Mm. and if you're a political player, you can sort of uh, manipulate uh, people's plays. You can win at instant speed so easily with Kenrith that it's, uh, there's no wonder why it's number nine and why it has 
a 24% conversion rate. That's actually a little surprising to me because you can do anything. You would ex- I would expect it to be harder for like people to turn that conversion into a win. I, I think, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the $5 things, like Najil is number two and Cisse is number seven. Oh, and I think those yeah. are more obvious, like... If you don't know what, what you're, to focus, yeah, it tells you what to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. To do. Whereas Kenrith lets you do now, anything, right? and so you don't have a structure for yeah. it. So you're not necessarily going to be able to, you know, unless you know how to use all the good cards correctly. Right, you're not going to get the benefit of them. Yeah, for sure. Uh, all of the all of the text is relevant. Yeah, yeah it all, exactly. Really all of it. it requires a huge amount of knowledge. Which, yeah. if you read Atlas's Primer, like. It, it he talks about that like it's a great deck where it can go into any meta as long as you know the meta right yep. you know number eight I'm surprised to see this above Kenrith and that is a Traxa Grand Unifier yeah I was curious about that too because I you know I don't see a ton of people talking about it if you browse the tournament results like recently there's not a ton of top finishes I for me it's been a fairly underwhelming deck since it's come out and since i've seen so many people play it um so i mean i'm I'm actually surprised to see it as number eight uh it does have a 22.95 conversion rate so pretty decent. um not awful no but i mean it is a deck that uh sans red in a food chain strategy so it omits squee and it usually only goes for mist hollow griffin mm-hmm. the thing is that you can't really get rid of the card once it's gone so there have been a few new lines popping up with this with hoarding broodlord that uh saw in half broodlord go get mist hollow griffin go get food chain and then all of a sudden you're off to oh, the exiled yeah i like that so that's a that's a cool line. I think guy. There are a lot been, of cool lines in this deck. There that you can put into this deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's and, a cool deck, uh, but it is surprising to see it number eight ahead of Kenrith, especially. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, I just look at the four colors and I go, well, if you just had those four colors, what kind of deck could you build? And what kind of card advantage could you generate? And I've just seen people hard cast Atraxa and be okay with that. Seeing ten cards is still really good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, sometimes seeing those ten cards is enough to set you up for the following turn or set you up for the win on that turn. There's also crazy cards like Displacer Kitten. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, that can just help you pop off. Not uh, only that, but these are the perfect colors. I mean, save for Dockside. These are great colors for Displacer Kitten because you get the Teferi loops, you get the uh, El, uh, Eternal Witness loops. Yeah. Um, so you can do a lot of crazy nonsense. Yep, and there's uh, you could probably play Atlas's favorite card, which is uh, Cloud Shift. <laughs> in this just to get another just get another bounce see a little bit more information yeah definitely cool deck but uh i'm I'm glad to see it uh showing up it's a new deck yeah number seven cisa yeah weatherlight captain which is five colors but it you know like we were saying tells you how to play it you're tutoring up other legendaries it goes through some planeswalker lines it has a few different you do have the flexibility of choosing your your play style or your way to win yeah um but which, I would say which, it goes to consistency. If this is, I would say, even more consistent than Kenrith. Yeah, and you know, I, I think that is, like, because you can, you know, adaptive tutors. You can just do what you got to yeah. do, you know? It, it helps you win a little bit. There's been so many times where I will, I won't even be, like, broadcasting that I'm about to win the game, but then mm-hmm. the Sisse player will just hold up mana and be ready for whatever is coming their way. Exactly. You know, and that's like, and the thing is, is that it, it would be less, it would be less represented and less good if it wasn't, if it wasn't an instant speed ability, but it is. Mm-hmm. And so there are really cool things you can do with uh, the exalted mechanic from Hobo, like Noble uh, Hierarch and uh, Noble 
or ignoble hierarch. So you can just get a single attack off, raises Tissay's power, and all of a sudden you're grabbing a Derevi, or you know you're grabbing something that's uh, tasty. Yeah, that's tasty and going to come out in the battlefield and make uh, help you break parity. I, even some decks that play uh, Gigantha and it's a companion because it just is one activation is one Sissé tutor, which is yep. pretty fucking sick. Yep. Uh, it, I, that was a big thing that, um, uh, what's her name? Rebel. Yeah, Rebel was running. Uh, and there's other things that you can do here. You can run a complete stacks build with like focusing Lavinia. You can actually uh, focus like Kinnon here and just get so many more activations off of just pulling Kinnon to the yeah, battlefield. Yeah, I just love the versatility of this deck. Mm -hmm. Me too. It is very good. Uh, plus, yeah, 23% conversion rate. Number seven. Yep. All I've right. lost to it plenty. Same. Moving on. We have a classic. We have Bruise Thrasios. This is a Sans Blacklist, most famously used by uh, Comedian, the guy who piloted this, or created this list. Uh, it's a Don Waker list. So you it essentially is just a very big mid-rangey value list that... Makes a lot of mana, draws a lot of cards, interacts, and then tries to win when it feels good and ready. Um, has a 20% conversion rate because of that. Uh, for you, a reason to play this deck or not play this deck? I, I feel like you've talked about playing this deck, Jordan. Uh, I even have this deck proxied up. Um, it is a very good deck because I think it's very resilient, and mm -hmm. it lets you always have something to... It's very... It's great because it has something to do with your mana, which is like it gives you objective A is create mana, but then yes. it always has somewhere to put it because you have Thrasios. Mm -hmm. um, and then should you want to go explosive, you just go grab a seedborn muse and then you really start just kind of turning the tides of the game in your favor. To me, this kind of plays like a, a Kenrith deck that has a, some different, more focused win conditions um, because there's a few creature type win conditions that essentially once you go infinite mana, you can win the game with Thrasios. Yeah, straighter lines to walk, not so much of a jaunt around the bushes and stuff like that. You know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, like you can do like Dockside Loops, the Kenrith's reanimate ability and stuff, but yeah, exactly. This is just like, can you get infinite mana, which is pretty fucking easy to do these days? All right, put into Thrasios, call it a day. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce, Tarl, Bruce Thrasios uh, breaks through walls. It doesn't wait and it's so consistent and resilient that even if you stop it the first time, there's just a really good chance that it's going to do it again. It's just going to have so much mana and just swarm you in value. Cool. Uh, number five. Number five. Kinnon, you know what it does. Number four. <laughs> Get wrecked. <laughs> like, is there anything to say about uh, it? No, like, just, we know no. it. It's Just reiterating yeah. what you said before. It has the lowest conversion right here. 16. Yeah, 16.53%. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. Top four. Let's get to it. Uh, and again, no surprises here, but Rog Sai. We were Rog just talking about that deck Sai. earlier in the in the episode. See, I'm actually pretty surprised that this has almost a 24% conversion rate because this is a very hard deck to pilot. Uh, I mean, but it's Grixis, probably the best it's, color combination to be in. a deck that really likes to win no matter what. So if you want to go that. fast. Yeah. If you want to go fast. Yes. Are you Ricky Bobby? Do you oh. like to go fast? Did you know that crepes are just like tiny pancakes? Oh. Yeah, just like really thin pancakes. Yeah, <laughs> reference. Um, all I'm right, not moving, say it. moving on to number three. This deck is crushing right now, and that is Tivit. Although it didn't show any results at the uh, at the seaside, and that was maybe what you were talking Surfside. about a little bit is like getting you know maybe a little focused and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, it has been putting up a lot of results lately. So yeah, I pe could people imagine. were saying on Reddit, um, maybe on the Surfside thread about like how, you know, it, it is a little fragile because you have to go through all these artifact lines and stuff. But I mean, I feel like that's not a problem in, in CDH. No. You got no. all them artifacts. You yeah. have a lot of interaction yeah. in this deck and I feel like you ramp incredibly, e like it's easy to ramp with this deck. You're always running into those artifacts, but uh, you can 
as soon as Tivit lands, that's the game usually. Yeah. And it's not like game over immediately. Sometimes it is. Sometimes the time sees just sitting there and there's a grand abolisher also accompanying it and then it's game over. But uh, as soon as it enters the battlefield, everyone votes and you get a lot. You get two treasures and yeah. a lot of clues. And then uh, it has Ward 3, which is the biggest reason of why it sticks. So if your opponent wants to get rid of it at all for any reason and they pay the ward cost, they're just probably holding interaction yeah. for the spell regardless. So they've put you off of your line. They've put you off of uh, how much mana you have and made you waste uh, a card on trying to get rid of it and are just going to keep pushing forward. We've talked about it before how good ward is. So it good. Ward is, 3 is Ward accurate. 3 is <laughs> it's some of the best protection you can get in this game. It's yeah. better than hexproof. It's better yeah. like uh it, it, it just astounds me that they put ward together and then uh after we started playing with the mechanic like a little bit more ward 1 is not enough. Ward 2 is oppressive. And Ward 3 is untouchable. Mm -hmm. Anything more than that, and it's just like, okay, so I just, you just can't target that thing. Yeah, Ward 4 is just fuck off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look the other way. But, uh, I mean, this deck has uh, common lines of uh, to combo off with. It's playing, uh, like, Thassa's Oracle, Consults, uh, stuff like that, those types of lines. But it's also playing a Time Sieve, which one single trigger from Tivit results in infinite turns. Yep. So uh, that's a big reason why the deck has seen so much success is it is a two card combo in the command, like with one of those pieces being in the command zone. And the other one is two mana. Yeah. And the other one is a two mana artifact in blue. Yeah. So it's kind of uh, wild how like when this deck came out, everyone looked at it and was like, wow, that's a really high mana value. Like, I don't know if it's going to thrive. And then it has thrived. It has Spoiler. thrived. It is number three. Well, I was just going to say. We've all been talking about like it seems to be like a win second meta win second format right now. You know, you never want to be the person presenting the first win condition. And I think Tivit is a great win second deck, right? Mm -hmm. It is not trying to win anytime early and it's trying to set up a draw engine and interact a little bit until it can resolve its commander. Like sure, Thassa's Oracle, Demonic Constellation is in there, but that's far from like the main priority. And that is great because that just really lets you establish this oppressive piece that is also the win condition. It's mm -hmm. pretty insane. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's hard to stop the win in Tivit yeah. is the problem. It is. Yeah. If you can stop the win, the biggest enemy to Tivit is Dockside because you're sitting there with all those clues, probably unable to crack them and nobody's giving you treasures. Yeah. That's the dream like, is, yeah, you do just Dockside when they, you know, gas out on their turn and just win before they get a chance to, essentially. Yep, on the next go-around. So uh, Tivit does have that one singular weakness, but it's in a color pairing that is just so resilient. It's so ready to stop you from doing that. Yep. Um, okay, moving on to number two here. Great color pairing. Great color two. pairing. Yeah. It's all five all of them. them. Uh, <laughs> and you only need one to cast it. Yeah, one, three mana, but oh, one color. Broken. Uh, Najila the Blade Blossom. Possibly one of the most broken commanders of all time, short of Kenrith. Um, or okay, uh, we, we won't have that debate right now. No, yeah, we won't have that debate right now. Um, but it is number two on the EDH top sixteen. Uh, Evan is not wrong. It costs only red to cast her for three freaking mana. Uh, one jeweled lotus is away. Away, I like to say. Um, and yeah, it's a five color deck that has a just guaranteed line for winning. Uh, it has a way to make an overwhelming board state of uh, soldiers. What's the magic number? It's like seven 
or whatever, seven turns with Najila will just win the game through X. Oh yeah, growth. it's something like that. Just just through Najila's ability alone, you'll have exponential growth. But there'll be interaction stuff throughout the board. Um, but if you can essentially just land a five color land, a land that taps for any color, and Derevi, uh, you'll just get to winning the game pretty freaking quickly. In addition to that, you get your five colors. You got Thoracle, you got Demonic Constant. You get to play all the good cards. Add Nazim if you want it. Go for go nuts. You know, Brain Freeze, Underworld Breach, whatever. Uh, you get to play everything in such in just an army and a can commander with a win condition stapled to it. It's hard not to see why it's one of the best. Yeah, it has. It is so efficient. And uh, there was at one point where Jordan had proxied the uh, a list <laughs> from. Uh, was it the database or was it from something here? Uh, I no, I think it was somebody's on the database. Yeah. So he just Sorry, printed that off, sleeved it up, and he was just like, "Dude, you just want to try Nujila?" And I took my first seven, and I was like. I can win the game like three ways on turn two. Yeah. Like it just has a what like, and I played, and like was like an Adnaz variant. Yeah. Right? And I played like that. three games before you on that. And I each one of them I felt like I was winning the game every single time. Yeah, yeah it feels like um the five color deck that requires the least skill. And I'm not saying it takes an unskilled pilot, but it's the five color deck that requires the least skill because the commander, like you're saying, can just win on its own. I would um, not without would not you disagree. having to think about it. If Kyle wasn't so adamant on making Jota work, this would be the deck that I would push to him because uh this is his win condition inside of his deck. Like when uh so Kyle plays Jota the Unifier, which uh with Essica or whatever allows you to activate Najila's ability infinitely mm-hmm. and then you just go into infinite combats and punch people to death. It's a really great uh, piece in there for like to help that deck win through combat but Najila just does it on her own so you know it's like kind of that question like why not Najila? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of in the back of my head more when I think about ter- uh, decks I should, should be taking to a tournament to yeah. like actually try and win. The answer is probably Najila Um but I'm just always bringing some one of my silly decks. Yeah, one day I'll actually show up. Well, it's yeah. number two for a reason. And I think that, like you said, if you want to put numbers up and you want to see yourself on these top 16 lists, Najila is a great option to do it. 100%. I think so. Um, all right. Let's move on and talk about the number one, which you think would be exciting until you find out that it's just Blue Farm. Number one, Blue Farm. Turns out uh, you can make your deck better by getting rid of green. <laughs> <laughs> the worst color in the game. <laughs> it is, though. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's four Blue colors. Farm. What do you have? What do you have to say about Blue Farm? It Card draws, advantage. Draws a ton of cards. Uh, Card advantage is good. All of the best win conditions and generally speaking, all of the best card options mm-hmm. in the game. The most efficient win conditions uh, and it's, uh, yeah, like you said, two of the best card engines in the game. Uh, if you put both commanders out, you are drawing so many cards. Uh, I would say card advantage or card value comes to mind. I, th- I would say the cards in this deck have like an extremely high value. Like they are... Mm-hmm. Card quality, rather. Sorry. I think I think these are very high-quality cards. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's what it does. You put all the best cards together. You give yourself an engine to draw them and put them in your hand so you can play them. Or put them in your graveyard so you can replay them with Breach. And, uh, yeah, that's that's the name of it, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not I, complicated. No, it's not complicated. And that's, like, what we were saying is we're not saying that anyone who plays Blue Farm is not creative, but it is so figured out, but in a way... In the best way possible. Yeah. It is. I mean, it, 
nothing wrong with winning a World Series with the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, you're allowed. There you go. It, it's it's all good. It still geez. counts. Yeah, still I can't counts. say it better. It has yeah. a twenty percent conversion rate, so it's a little bit lower than some of these other ones, but not by much. It has two hundred and forty-five entries at the moment, time of recording, and has topped fifty tournaments. So I've played against it a bunch. It is resilient. Uh, it is consistent. It resilient well, and consistent is how I would describe it. Yeah, yeah, and it does the it it takes advantage of the best mechanic in the game, and that is drawing cards. You draw more cards than your opponents, you're going to win the game, and it just keeps getting better and better the more time goes on because green is not getting any support to help compete with these color, like these color pairings. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you're getting Orcish Bowmasters here, which great utility piece, doesn't really contribute to the draw engine much, but the one ring does, and this deck got better because it, it's now starting to plug in the one ring a little bit more. It has Bowmasters for uh, removal, and uh, yeah, uh, the odds of you playing Blue Farm and sitting at the same table, someone also playing Blue Farm is relatively high. I mean, in It'll the Surfside Showdown, there were two Blue Farm players in the top table. Yep. Yeah, yep. And that, uh, yeah, it was watching the top 16, Atlas's game, and he lost to Blue Farm. But for you guys, though, what uh, what's the reason not to play Blue Farm, I guess, if it's the best deck? I mean, we yeah. like to play fun, weird stuff, Evan, more than anybody. Are there Are there meta reasons or gameplay reasons why you wouldn't play Blue Farm? I don't know. I just like to educate myself on what it does so I can be prepared for it. Why I wouldn't play it. That's a good question. I think I part of it goes on to play style, too. Like, yeah. you know, you are thrown through a Nia player. You play There's, like there's just a set of pilots who just are not engineered this, to play Blue Farm. It's, it's not the focus, yeah. Yeah, or it's not like what we want to be doing with our cards. Uh, I think that uh, your question is actually leads into a greater point. That this deck uh, fits pilots the like a broader scope of pilots and what they want to do uh more comfortably than uh like other decks do okay like Najila, even that like is a little bit harder to master than blue farm is blue farm is just draw cards put together the most efficient win conditions in the game protect it while you're doing so and walk away with the dub shake everyone's hand mm-hmm. and watch your conversion rate go up so uh if you want to put up numbers at a tournament you want to be consistent. Consistency is power. Blue Farm has been proven to be the best way to do that. And if you're not, uh, if you feel like you don't have like an expertise in a different deck that's not Blue Farm, just just do it. There's a lot right? of ways. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to misplay in decks that tutor. Like there's a lot of ways to misplay in Sisse. There's a lot of ways to misplay with Kenrith. You mm-hmm. know, cards that give you options. Um, you know, it's harder to make options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, cards that maybe have more known options like when i'm playing shalai and halar people know that there's two options for me and so it's easy to stick the finger in there and say nope and then that disrupts you know they say it like that (laughs) no always wow Uh, uh, and they put their finger on my card and they push it back to my hand Mm. um and then we all saw that this is a visual medium yeah yeah (laughs) um but yeah this is just one where uh it the both lines of text on each creature one is if you punch somebody you get a card yep or you can multiple you can cards up three cards uh, up to three cards yeah. you know and then crom is whenever someone casts their second spell you get a card and everyone there's a there's a format we be doing that all the time it's why lotho yeah. is so good and that there's another card that goes in the deck that made it much more powerful mm-hmm. so yeah 
Yeah, any more reasons <laughs> that we need? Blue to, Farm is good. It is good. Good decks are good. Why not to play it? You want to play silly, fun, other stuff and try, okay. try and make it justified, which is never the right answer for a tournament. But Fair enough. Yeah. Some, <laughs> that doesn't stop people yeah. from doing it. But if you do want to be playing the best decks, you can do that by going to eminence.events and checking out the list for yourself. That's where we found a, uh, all of this, all these statistics, all this data. You can go to edhtop16.com. Yep. Just make it easier. Yeah, that's actually probably a more direct route. I'll put the link in the description below for both of those. And you can uh, support the show if you enjoyed this episode by liking us on YouTube, subscribing to us on YouTube first, and then liking this video and hitting that bell for more notifications. Don't forget to give us five stars on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Yeah. And uh, we're going to be in Vegas for MagicCon in September. Uh, anyone who's on our Discord who is also good, go and give us a shout out. We're going to try to set up some games, do some other stuff. Yes. Run some games. Yeah. Maybe have some sick limited merch. Ooh. Potential giveaway. We have been working working on something potential giveaway yeah we so have, stay tuned yeah we do have playmats available at the moment and stickers so just reach out to us if you would like either or yeah we'd love to get some games in that'd be great and All this right. has been the mock stars podcast let's go get some games in the number one podcast on the internet and specifically involving dr pepper and yeah. magic the Gap. we didn't mention it but dr pepper made the top 16 uh, we did mention that we did oh okay yeah. we but started the episode with we started and now oh, yeah. dr pepper yeah. yeah nice okay great uh vanilla dr pepper let's go it is goaded bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.